here we are in this pressure points series and I, <laughs> I'm looking at this thinking 30th anniversary celebration and what is the pressure point that we're considering this weekend? It is sickness, which is not a marriage made in heaven when it comes to themes, quite honestly. But then as I reflected on it and uh, prayed about it a little more, I realized that actually it's entirely appropriate. You see, the reason why 30 years matters is because we are living in a world, an unhealthy world, which is full of emotional and physical and spiritual sickness. That's what this is all about as we pan back, if you will, and consider the bigger picture. So, we're going to think about being a church for the hurting, an oasis in a world of sickness. And I want to read some words to you from Mark chapter 5, a beautiful episode. Verse 25 says, A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask, who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. It's been wonderful over the last few minutes to uh, celebrate some of the many achievements that, by God's grace, have happened uh, with Pastor Darian Bonnie over the uh, last 30 years. But I thought I'd mess things up a little, frankly, because I'm in a bit of a naughty mood this weekend. And I thought, well, why can't I tell you one thing that uh, Pastor Derry has failed at, if I may say so, miserably. And that is teaching me to like golf. I don't care what other anointings he's carried. The man has never managed to persuade me that golf is a good idea. In fact, I'm tempted to believe that it is actually an invention of Satan which has been created to make preachers say bad words that they should never say. And years ago, I went golfing with uh, Darry. I've not been since. My therapist said it would not be a good idea. And, and uh, he's really good at, he's irritatingly good at that stuff. And, and I am t I've told you before, I don't have a swing. It's a spasm, you know. It's like... <laughs> and I, I took my first shot, and, um, and I, shot, I hit the ball straight into the lake. Plop. And uh, I, I praised the Lord, I muttered. I lied then, I lied then. And he slapped me on the back. He literally slapped me on the back and he said, great shot, Lucas. 
And I'm, I'm thinking, listen, I know that encouraging is the big word up there on the screen, but that's ridiculous. I just, I just, I just, I just hit the ball into the water. He said, Jeff, you just hit the ball. <laughs> you see, what happened there was he caught me doing something right. This story, this episode is about Jesus catching a woman doing something right. And the story begins with Mark really wanting us to know how everything was wrong for her physically. Physically, she's in big trouble. She has been hemorrhaging constantly for uh, a number of years. And Mark chooses a word that communicates how bad this was. The word that he uses means to scourge, to whip someone. It's a word used in the book of Hebrews. And this was a terrible, terrible sickness. Doctors had not only not helped her, but Mark said they'd made her worse. Now, in Luke's Gospel, there is no comment about doctors making her worse. And Luke was, of course, a physician, but that's not important right now. And there were a number of different remedies that doctors would offer back then, uh, suggesting that a woman with a hemorrhage could drink a goblet of wine, with garden flowers in it or Persian onions cooked in wine. Uh, some doctors suggested that if you had a hemorrhage, the best thing to do was to sit at, I'm not making this up, to sit at a crossroads and hope that someone would come by and scare you. Boo! That's better. Weird. Crazy, crazy stuff. Some car suggested carrying an ostrich egg in a special cloth. So, medicine's not terribly sophisticated in this case. Things have gone worse. She's worn out. It's been happening for 12 years. Life expectancy back then was around 40 years. So assuming this began at puberty, half her life she's had this sickness. And she spent all of her money on medical bills. It is a bad situation. But now, everything's about to change. Everything. Because you see, one touch from Jesus, one moment with Jesus... And 12 years of frustration and shame are wiped away. You see, that's what really matters. That's what this thing's all about. It's about serving the Jesus, the Jesus who changes everything. One of the things that Pastor Darius said when I first met him years ago, which arrested my heart, turned my head, he said, I am not okay if there is just one person in northern Colorado who doesn't know Jesus. That's what this is all about. But you see, we need to turn this out to us as a church. What kind of church are we to be as we reflect on 30 years of journey and then consider this moment and the future ahead? And there are Three or four things that I, I want to say that emerge from this story. They're listed in the bulletin. Follow with me. First of all, let's say this. We exist to spend ourselves for those who feel hopeless. We exist to spend ourselves for those who feel hopeless. Certainly she's hopeless. Verse 26, she had suffered a great deal. And not only was it this compounding of all these problems that I've already mentioned. There were additional difficulties 
You see, a woman was considered unclean for seven days after her period finished with an ongoing gynecological problem. She would have spent 12 years feeling and rendered ceremonially unclean. Anyone who brushed up against her just casually would be considered unclean for the rest of the day. The temple was closed to her. If she was married, she was almost certainly now divorced. And she, she comes up behind Jesus. She touches his garment. Verse 30 says, Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. There is a, a sense of energy, if you will, used up in this situation. And then there's this really unusual moment here in verse 32 because it says Jesus kept looking around to see who had done this. I've been trying to think, what's the one thing that Darren Northrup ever said to me that was the most memorable thing? And I know immediately what it is. It was when in a gathering with our staff team, Darry said to us, when you guys, when you women and men walk into a room, what's your attitude? Is it, here I am? Or is it, there you are? I mean, you see, I've only just, just this week realized that that's exactly the attitude that Jesus exemplified. He kept looking around the crowd because you see he's the there you are Jesus. And we are called to be a there you are church who are not just consumed with us and my needs and my challenges and feed me but rather we exist to spend ourselves to spend ourselves on those who feel hopeless. Secondly we exist to be conduits of the power of God's Spirit. To be conduits of the power of God's Spirit. Look at verse 29. She could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, this was a miracle. This was a miracle of God. And this is a moment for us to say, as a church body, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we welcome that supernatural activity of God. We believe in healing. We will pray for the sick, admitting, just to be honest, that we do not see healing nearly as much as we would like. Nevertheless, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's a qualifying uh, moment in this episode that I think can help us. You see, Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what? What do you mean, who touched you? I mean, there's, there's a crowd all around you. I mean, you're, you're hemmed in by all these people. I mean, let me, let me illustrate it like this. How many of you have heard of a team called the Broncos? Have you heard of the Broncos? And you know, I know this illustration's not going to go well because I don't know much about basketball, but I'm going to do my best. <laughs> Imagine the Broncos, okay? You know that moment when they, they is it, it's the huddle. Is it the huddle? In rugby, it's the scrum, and they don't wear crash helmets. But it's like, it's like a bunch of guys, they're getting down there. They look like they're going to pray together, but they're wearing crash helmets. Imagine in, in a huddle, then, then someone says, hold on a minute. Who touched me? 
And everyone goes, don't be stupid. You're in a, you're a huddle. What, what are you thinking? Well, that's the attitude of the disciples here. But you see, Jesus wanted to know who touched him because he wanted the miracle to lead to a meeting. It was not enough that she just experienced power. She needed to encounter the personality of Jesus. So when we say we want to see the activity of the Holy Spirit, it's not to give us goosebumps and go, wow, awesome, wasn't that amazing? It's because the activity, the authentic activity of the Spirit always points to Christ. And as we see Jesus asking who touched him, we say again that we want that authentic openness to supernatural activity that points to Jesus among us. Thirdly, thirdly, we exist to embrace those whose history makes them tremble. We exist to embrace those whose history makes them tremble. Verse 33, Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her. Now, question. Why, why is she trembling? Well, first of all, she's... You'd be freaked out, wouldn't you? She's, she's just been healed after 12 years. So she's not going to just go, oh, jolly good, that's nice. <laughs> this is an amazing thing that has happened. But also, it's difficult for her because she shouldn't be in that crowd. Because just a casual brushing of someone would render them unclean. She shouldn't have been in the crowd. She shouldn't have touched a man in public. Not only that, but her theology is a bit messed up too. Now, there are some commentators, one or two, who believe that she was reaching for the, the prayer tassels on Jesus' robe. But most scholars, the vast majority, believe that this woman did this because she embraced the common belief at that time that to touch a person's clothes was to experience their power. So Alexander the Great was often mobbed by crowds who just wanted to touch his garment because they thought that power was in his garment. She wanted to steal a miracle from him and then just quietly slip away. But I love this. Jesus doesn't rebuke her. He doesn't say, now, who touched me? Now listen to me, lady. First of all, you are well out of order in just touching me. That's kind of messed up. And secondly, may I tell you that your theology of healing is very definitely deficient. And if you want to experience true healing, then please come along to this 27-week course entitled A Theology of Healing. Now, go away. No. Kent Hughes says her faith was uninformed, presumptuous, and superstitious, but it was real, and Christ honored her imperfect faith. I love that. And I love the fact that he identified her. Why did he identify her publicly? To show her up? No. You see, miracle led to meeting, and then meeting led to dignity, because the public conversation invested in her dignity and worth that she had not known for over a decade. You see, Timberline, that's why we want to be a messy church. That's why we continue to pray that God will uh, enable us to gather outrageously naughty people here who don't look like us and who don't sound like us. And God will help us to be patient with people because they won't get sorted out 
by next week because you haven't. Nor have I. And we want to be a messy church that extend grace. We've received grace. We pass it around. How many know God is so patient? But we are not a messy church in the sense that we're simply saying, come on, be grubby with us. No, we say the redemptive power of God is able to transform. But as that transformative process takes time, we will be a messy people. We will be a people who welcome the whosoever. Fourthly, finally, we exist to create true family in a lonely culture. True family in a lonely culture. And he said to her, verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you well. She was lonely, and so is our culture. So are people in our day. A recent survey showed that half of Americans admit that they do not know the names of their neighbours. And it's not just an American issue. Uh, A recent survey of 2,000 British people found that a third said that they couldn't pick out their near neighbours in a police lineup. How many know that you'd prefer to not have to pick out your (laughs) neighbours in a police lineup? And famous best-selling books have been written charting the disintegration of community, Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam. He says we're less likely to vote, play bridge, invite friends over for dinner, join a bowling league. The Vanishing Neighbor, Mark Dunkelman, he says the people next door have become strangers. And here is Jesus, and there's power here, and there's peace here. And then he says, daughter. It's the only time, it's the only time you'll see him use this particular word. He wants her to know that she belongs, daughter. Years ago, Pastor Darian Bonnie, when you started in ministry, what happened is we used to we used to call each other brother and sister, didn't we? It was brother Northrop, brother Lucas. It was this brother sister thing was kind of helpful actually because it was great if you couldn't remember someone's name. Just say, "Hey, brother, how you doing? Bless you." We don't do that so much anymore. But there was something quite powerful about celebrating the fact that, to quote Sister Sledge, we are family. Some of you are going, Sister Sledge, which Bible? Don't worry about it. Years ago when I first started pastoring, we, we had a lady in our church, she, she had a gift of being offended, you know what I'm saying? She, was, she came to church to get offended, and if there was nothing to offend her, she was offended, you know what I'm saying? She, she, like, she was offended at birth. She was. She, she said to the midwife, don't you slap me, honey. I mean, she, you know. And she came to me and she said, Brother Lucas, She said, this church isn't loving enough. And I said, you're right. She said, right. She said, well, sort it out. I said, what do you want me to do? Am I going to just get everybody together and we'll bow our heads in prayer and I will produce 
Lucas's secret lovey-dovey dust. And I will sprinkle it upon everyone. And they will all wake up and start hugging each other and singing Kumbaya while swaying. You see, no leader can create a family culture. It's us. It's us. It's us digging in. It's us giving. It's us getting stuck into that small group. It's us navigating our offences when we disappoint each other, when it's not, why didn't they sing that song this morning? Why don't they use that version of the Bible? It's navigating through those things. And truly, truly, truly being able to say, this is family. I love it. Daughter. A sense of belonging where there had been none.